0: Hello, everyone. My name is Lillian O'Brien Davis, and I'm the curator of exhibitions and public programs here at Gallery 44. Gallery 44 acknowledges that it's situated on stolen land. We work and create on the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, the Anishinaabe, the Wendat, and the Mississaugas of the Credit. This land is home to many First Nations, Inuit and Métis, and is protected by the Dish with One Spoon wampum agreement a treaty that extends to Indigenous and non-Indigenous relations and invites us to share the land peacefully through mutual cooperation. Gallery 44 is inspired by the spirit of this agreement and through our work seeks to share space and build equitable and reciprocal relationships with communities. So I'm so pleased to welcome artists Christina Battle and Tia Simone Gardner. Christina's exhibition, The Air We Breathe, is up at Gallery 44 in our main exhibition space right now uh, until February 4th. And I urge you to come back and check out the gallery before it closes. Uh, Tia recently exhibited with us in September, Dark and Perfect Memories was her first Canadian exhibition and we were so happy to host her. The Air We Breathe is an expanded single channel experimental documentary. The work explores the complexities of air pollution, weaving together themes of environmental catastrophe, cultural and political strife, conspiracy, and the various links between. This work imagines the ways environment and culture impact one another in ongoing and cyclical means, combining research about Edmonton's air quality with personal storytelling and speculative imaginings. This project deeply considers the complicated means by which our air impacts us, from the physical effects of pollutants, to scent, and collective memory. Tia Simone Gardner's first Canadian exhibition explores the legacy of the Mississippi River, the second largest watershed in North America, its relationship to the transatlantic slave trade and the development of the United States economy. Gardner uses archival documentation and digital mapping technology to reflect on how the river is a tool of enclosure within the slavery industrial complex. The Mississippi River is the basis for the carceral landscape. River boats represent technologies of transportation and enclosure. This landscape is used as a tool of oppression, involving the formation of oppositional geography, where Black people are treated as economic objects. The slave ship is a location of Black subjectivity, human terror, and Black resistance. So I wanted to invite Tia uh, and Christina to join in conversation with me, um, because I'm really interested in how their respective artists' practices complement each other. If you'd like to learn more about these wonderful artists, uh, Tia and I recorded a podcast together in the fall, um, which you can find through Apple Podcasts and on Spotify by looking up Gallery 44 Podcasts. And we also got to launch web projects with both Tia and Christina, so you can find both of those on Gallery 44 Digital, which is a project we also launched um, last fall. And so I'm going to turn things over to Christina right away, um, and I'll I'll stop talking (laughs)
1: Thanks so much. Thanks, Lillian, um, for bringing T and I together. This is really exciting to be in conversation with both of you. Maybe just to give a little bit more geographic context. um, So I'm speaking with you all from Treaty 6 um, in Northern Alberta in Edmonton. And this project in particular, although it really like thinks through a number of different things that are sort of not necessarily geographically specific, more on a global level, The research very much came from thinking really specifically about this particular geography. If you're not super familiar with Alberta, um, uh, we're very much, um, our main industry is extraction, uh, specifically oil extraction. Although, you know, I think we could have wonderful conversations about how Canada in general is essentially just a massive extraction project. Um, Okay, so I thought I was gonna walk through a little bit about this project, how it relates to my work, um, some of the things I've been thinking about, and then um, open it up for Tia as well. And I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Um, So this image is from one of the banners in the exhibition. So the work is called The Air We Breathe. And overall, my work is really invested in looking at the complexity of disaster looking to the overlaps between issues of land, environment, politics, society in general, and ultimately the ways that we make sense and communicate these difficult concerns. I'm a media artist, so I'm especially preoccupied with thinking about the way that media operates and functions within communication, information dissemination, all of these wonderful and complicated things. So I think a lot about how we imagine, how we should imagine, as well as how we image or visualize these complexities. This is an image from a video still from the work that's in the gallery Gallery 44. It's an image of a sky with this text that says, I've been thinking about how best to show you. I'm really preoccupied with thinking about how it is that we see or visualize these complexities, how we might see them differently or anew, And how we grapple with this overlapping complexity. Um, I really think that a lot of my work is invested in thinking about like how to get better at connecting all of these dots that aren't always so easily connected for us, right? Especially thinking about news and media sources, governments, politicians. Um, And then also how to help make these connections visible to others. So again, thinking about media and how information travels. Um, And after getting to know more about Tia's work, I've been thinking a lot about strategies of mapping and how those appear and are used uh, in both of our practices. Um, When we spoke, I think it was last week, my sense of time is not great. Um, Tia mentioned this sort of question of like, what truths and lies are embedded within maps. And I've been sort of sitting with that a lot over the week and thinking about it in my own work. And I think I think a lot about how to reimagine the maps and the structures operating at a societal level. Um, and in this particular work, I was really looking to those systems that are specifically tied to, and responsible for air pollution. The ways that these structures, um, which very much are a multiple, multiplicity of crises, the ways in which they're understood or explained and communicated, Um, And I think a lot about mapping through memory and storytelling, as well as through artistic practice. So like through doing stuff um, and how those can help to map new paths forward. Um, So for me, this question about how to visualize and how to map such things forward really came to the forefront in this particular work. Um, I, you know, I imagine it's because of the fact that the air itself is often so invisible to us. Um, although v- very much present at all times. So a number of my works are really preoccupied by, re- by thinking about issues related to visual culture, um, especially the role of the image and the ways that technology alters and shapes our understanding of complex image through image, complex information through image construction and also dissemination. So these are some earlier works that tackle really similar um, issues to, especially the central video in The Air We Breathe, and I see that video as a part of this ongoing series. Um, A lot of my works are ongoing. I find a lot of freedom in working within that form, not having to feel like I'm sort of like solving all the things and answering all the questions in one particular piece. Um, And then within the series, there's also a series within a series. So the Tracking Sasquatch series um, is sort of where I first really directly started taking on and thinking about issues of specifically like image generation or understanding behind images. And that in itself is a series of four. Um, So this is a photo of this wonderful group that I worked with over the summer um, with this project, one um, of the participants, Sony, is missing. From this image which was taken by Nadia Coord at um our sort of well only in-person gathering actually because most of this conversation happened through the mail and through online um so at the very end of fall which as you can see was like very much winter here at Edmonton we got together for like a really cold amazing picnic outside um so research for this project began in 2022 sort of in the winter of 2022 and I really value research that's situated in uh, relationship building and having conversations with others and working alongside or with others. And my approach to this kind of research is to find strategies for doing so that in ways that offers room for everyone to work in their own way, um, on their own time, at their own pace, as well as to recognize the labor and cost of taking such time. So in this case, I was really grateful to the Edmonton Arts Council for um providing me with a grant to be able to offer everyone a really modest compensation to take part in this research and thinking that happened over four weeks over the summer. Um, And I'm really interested in thinking and working with prompts as a way to both define and work through research questions, as well as working in collaboration as a motivation to look at and consider difficult things. It's always easier to do such things with others, in my opinion. Um, So over the four weeks in the summer, um, everyone worked to read and consider issues related to air pollution together at a distance, as we paid attention specifically to the air quality in Edmonton across four weeks. And um, one of the important things, um, everyone who took part in the project is an artist in their own right and doing really interesting work that I really felt aligned in this sort of thinking that I was also thinking through. Um, And Edmonton is also a city very much based on sprawl. Um, So everyone lived in really different parts of the city, which was also um, really interesting for me to then think about how how the air quality actually differed across the city at different times of the day. So I mentioned being interested in considering storytelling and memory as a way to make sense of a lot of this complexity, um, and as a way to connect dots across things that otherwise might appear unrelated, but very much are connected. Um, and as well as a way to just share an experience. So this is one of the postcards from our project over the summer. Uh, the front says two stories about smell and time. Um, and then there's an image of the Nestle Purina dog food factory that I lived somewhat right around the corner from for a while when I lived in Denver. Um, and on the back, I shared two memories of smell traveling through the air. And both of those stories um, and memories are a part of the video at the center of the work. Um, and then also there was this prompt that reads, to do this week, consider a memory where you have noticed a connection between time and smell, share it on, the, on your blank postcard and then mail it on to another in the group. Um, so part of the toolkits that everyone received included a number of postcards, blank watercolor postcards, watercolors from Beam Paints, who I love, if you don't know that, um, the paints that they make um, and everything folks should need, postage and things to send these postcards back and forth. And so this is one of the postcards um, that I sent in response to this prompt, which was to do this week, consider those smells that aren't easily identified, along with those that can hardly be smelled. How might we better witness the invisible? What strategies exist to translate measurements into the sensorial? Share your thoughts on a blank postcard and mail it on to another in the group. And then also as a part of this research and um, project, we practice smelling things together um, and then also describing those smells. So this is something that I like actually personally really struggle with, especially trying to describe tastes. Um, You know, we know that taste and smell are um, inextricably related and I often uh, get the language wrong. So it's something that I've been really trying to work through practicing and also becoming really cognizant of, um, especially through the summer with this work. So first we smelled smelled things that we had in common. So those were these uh, tied to this candle making experiment that I did in 2022, that's called the bouquet experiments with smells. Um, And then we spent time smelling and describing the air itself, which is not so easy, it turns out. This is an example of uh, some of the data that was gathered I recognize this is really tiny print. So I'm gonna read a couple of the descriptions of the prompts that were at the center of this. So this is a very small fragment of the questions and prompts that were posed that each artist took uh, part in answering um, one day each week for the given four weeks. So one of the prompts, take a second to smell the air, describe what you smell. If you had to describe the air outside as a taste, what would it be? If you had to describe the air quality today, how would you? How gritty is it? How humid? How hazy? And then we also um, monitored um, data from the air monitoring stations that are set up across the city. And Most cities have this um, as a part of their research from governments and um, different environmental um, departments in your um, local legislation. So we were monitoring things like air temperature, ozone levels, humidity, wind direction, etc. And these prompts are really meant to help us getting to pay attention to the air, something that I think we often sort of ignore and don't really think about unless you're being affected by it in that moment. Um, And then also to consider the air that we were collectively breathing across the summer and the pollutants that were constantly there, um, but that we really couldn't see. Um, And I'm still really working to sift through and make sense of all of this data that we collected over the summer. Maybe one thing that I should also say is, um, you know, I mentioned being geographically within Alberta. um, Edmonton itself is one of the most polluted uh, regions or cities in the province. So it was like a great... (laughs) opportunity to really pay attention to such things but also quite difficult I think Um, you know really when you start to realize the things that you're breathing in and don't realize as we were tracking um, individually but collectively over these four weeks um, I found it really eye-opening and I think um, it was actually really difficult to realize right it's it's much easier to ignore such things So I mentioned working with series and ongoing projects as a strategy, and I really appreciate the use of repetition in my practice. I lean on it a lot, Um, and I work on ongoing projects as a way to just approach these recurring questions from multiple angles um, and to help spend time, I think, really thinking through. Um, And so data and considerations from um, the air we breathe that we collected over the summer will ultimately become a part of this ongoing project, which is called Forecast that considers the entanglement between environmental, social, political and economic challenges um, that are facing the current moment. Um, And another project that I'm doing right now that's focused on Toronto is gathering data for the same project. So maybe I'll put the link to that in the chat afterward. I'd love it if you all took part. Um, Forecast is essentially this overarching umbrella for a number of projects. And ultimately the goal um, for at least one element of this work is to create an algorithm that focuses on weather prediction as a part of speculation. Um, So all of the data from the Air We Breathe, a couple other projects from the past, as well as this newer one that focuses more specifically on Toronto, will ultimately be um, coordinated into developing this algorithm, whatever that is in the end, I don't know yet. And then also related to this focus on repetition, I really appreciate process and practice, um, practice as doing stuff, um, and also as utility um, as a part of my work. So I really like making things over and over and over again. It helps me think through some of these complexities, make sense of them. Um, and I really value repetition as a part of ritual and sort of just becoming that um, you know, individual sitting there doing the same thing over and over and over again. So for this work, I made a series of candles and handmade air purifiers um, as a giveaway as a part of the exhibition. So I hope if you are in Toronto, um, you can take some of them home with you. Um, And I think about these objects as both reminders and memory holders for all of this research and thinking through um, and data that was gathered over the summer as well. Um, So there are, all of the candles are beeswax, um, which has a link to thinking through um, purifying air. Um, there are these air clouds and then also these Hoya flowers. And then there are a series of handmade air purifiers that have acti- activated um, carbon within them that also are, you know, on a very small scale, I hope have some sense of utility, at least in thinking about reminding you about the air that you might be situated within and how it actually um, might not be the healthiest of things. Um, And then I'm gonna end here. So these are two video stills from the Air We Breathe video. Um, The text on them reads, you wouldn't know it from these images, but if you were here, you might have smelled it. And both are just images taken of um, the sky over the summer. Um, And this question of how to visualize, not just air pollution, but all of these connected, complex, and unjust elements that are related to it, um, really comes up a lot across this work. Um, so I'm thinking here about things like environmental racism, about where polluting industries are located, the invisibility in general of the impacts and repercussions of polluting industries. It's quite a convenient um, byproduct of these industries that we can't see it all the time. Um, the lack of investment in making significant changes and the miss and disinformation and denialism as well that's um, often tied to anti-environmentalism, anti-social justice movements, and the ways in which that disinformation is fueling conspiracies that are often aligned with and even funded uh, by these industries themselves. So really thinking through how all of these things are connected, um, and maybe trying to figure out ways of seeing it, ways of visualizing it um, anew, right? So that it is visible, maybe on a daily basis, um, much more relevant. It's so relevant to us, but how to make it relevant visually for us as well. And ultimately, this work really ends with a series of questions. Um, I feel like it's all really ongoing. um, And I'm really interested in thinking about how we might map our way out of this, so towards some potential future path that isn't the one that we're currently um, moving toward, and thinking through how images at the center of that might help in sort of um, fostering this new mapping of things.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. Thank you so much Christina. Um I there's I, I feel like you just gave us something like really generous because not only you know did you like share your work with us but it very much feels like um your work is like constantly in invitation like being invited to um, participate in the Toronto work um And also, your Gallery Forty Four digital is an invitation to do the digital postcards with you. And I wonder if you can, if you would want to talk a little bit more about um, invitation and collaboration. And I think um, I know that collaboration can be hard, um, and there's something really joyful and in, in the way that you have thought through like, oh, well, first we'll like smell things together and then try to describe, um, and then we'll like take that out into the places that we live. And so I wonder if you, yeah, if you could talk a little bit about, um, inv- like the invitation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love thinking about that because it's actually, I think really difficult to think about, um, I think there's something about invitations that needs to be open and with room. Um, and maybe like a generosity. And for me, I think a lot about like the generosity of time as being really important because I think, you know, everyone's so strained and stressed rightfully. So I was going to say these days, but I actually feel like it's all the days. (laughs) Like, I don't think it's, you know, maybe it's heightened. Um, in the moment we're in, but I think it's for a lot of us been really ongoing for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I think there is something about invitations that needs to have that responsibility of like care and like being open to adapt and change Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and also being open to the answer being no, which I love when actually people say no to things and recognize that like they don't have capacity or something. Mm -hmm. And I think all of that is really, um, at least from my perspective, like meant to try to shape a sense of collaboration as opposed to a sense of like extracting someone's knowledge or time. And I think that's also really related to this kind of preoccupation I have with like repetition and like things being ongoing. I don't think it can all necessarily be summed up in one invitation. So I hope that invitations are open-ended. I was thinking about, um, what we were talking about, I don't know if that was last week or a couple of weeks ago, but um, the three of us, Lillian and Tia, about just even the fact that Lillian invited us together to have this conversation is such a generous invitation. You know, we didn't know one another beforehand, we live in different places, but that sort of thinking through that clearly Lillian had done of like, oh, these two people I think would have a great conversation or get along well, all of that kind of work and care I think is really um, necessary when it comes to thinking
0: through
2: invitation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so good. Like I, I think, yeah, like life is kind of, you know, it can be, it it comes in waves and crests. It can be kind of hard right now. And then it can be Mm -hmm. like a day, like today. I like this feels very, like really good. I was the thing that you just said, like I, I was talking to my students um, I had a realization, like I was talking to my students about theory that um, a, a beloved professor of mine who's no longer with us, Terry Atkins, like told told me, you know, like, well, theory is like jazz. You're not supposed to get it the first time you do it. It's meant to be a repeated exercise. And it is a, like, it is an exercise and a practice, like everything else you do in your work. And as you were talking, I, I realized that um, collaboration and like the invitation to collaborate can and should be like that, that there is like a way that, you know, you absolutely engage in repetition in your work and how you think about your work and the the way that you come back to pe- you, you give people an opportunity to come back or not. And I love the openness of, of that too, as like a, 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 another repeating form
0: my my first question that i i wanted to ask was just who is a check-in like thinking of kind of like capacity is sort of how are you feeling and and you know um thinking about the inspiration of christina's show like what's what is the air quality like where you are right now and and maybe if if that's affecting you
1: I want to say first, too, like, I really wish everyone was taught to think about theory like jazz. I feel like uh, so many sectors would be so different if that were actually true. So I love that you had that foundation and introduction to theory, thinking about it. Um, uh, so where I am right now, the air quality is like oddly quite good today. I, and oddly because um, the last month or I don't know. I know that there is at least one person also from I groups. So maybe she can speak about this too, but um, the last month or so was really, really bad and actually worse than it was in the summer when we were um, collecting all of this data. And, you know, the summer being um, a time of wildfires, which are especially bad in there. air. So I've been really thinking a lot about how um, the air quality in the last month whether or not I would have noticed it to the same degree had I not gone through this experience. And so like now I'm forever checking the air quality and really being aware of like how, you know, it does sort of physically affect me. But often I think I would just ignore that and not, you know, think, oh, I'm having a rough day. I'm not sure why. Um, struggled breathing and things, but, you know, whatever. Uh, and now I'm just so much more cognizant of it. So today is a good day and it feels great. I'm curious about how it is where you all are. Cause
2: I know weather has shifted in places. Yeah. I, I was so glad when like Lillian asked this um, and then just like behind the, the scenes, like Christina also provide like a secondary air quality checker for us to look. And I looked at it this morning. Um, I'm in Minnesota, the ancestral homelands of the Dakota people. And I have feelings about it, like being from the South. That like my 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 assumptions until we started talking with and like some recent things that have happened, which I can tell y'all about, um, was that air quality is always worse in summer or or worse. It's not it's worse in summer than it is in winter. And um this winter we had we had like bad air quality days because we were having things um like freezing uh, fog which I didn't know fog could freeze but it can and all the particulate matter that's like trapped in the air is stuck and so like I um, I looked this morning and um, one of the notes about um, PM 2.5 which is something that Christina talks about in her work in Edmonton um, it that particles are small enough to enter the bloodstream <laughs> and typically result from wildfires, smokestacks, bacteria, or small dust particles and so i I think it's like so interesting like a a good air quality day, like both like you know the apple monitors that we have on our phones and the um the The site that you sent, like both said, we're having a good air quality day, but there's still things that are are um, moving through, moving into, and out of our bodies. Like our bodies are just mm. porous. There's they're porous, and like things come in and out that we can't see. Things are entering our, our bloodstream that we can't see. Even on the good on the on a good day, there's still this destructive matter. Um, so. That's, yeah. that's how it is where I'm at. And and thank you to you both for like, yeah, making room for me to think about this and other people to think about it.
0: I want to actually circle back to um, something else that you had mentioned to Christina um, around mapping. Um, it's a thematic in both of your practices, I should say. Could you talk a little bit more about your interest in maps um, and their infrastructures for your practices?
1: I think I'm interested in this, like, I'm not sure how to put it into words, like the moving through of a map, right? Like, so the way that it's represented, sure, but, but actually like how we map our way through things um, from the past to the present onto the future and how all of those three, I don't know, are those time zones, time periods, really actually overlap into one and sort of stack onto to, to one another. Um, and, like, what we carry along with us as we think, map through or like think through these, um, these time periods that, like, also are very much embedded with us and, and, and affect us. So, like, one of the things I was thinking about when Tia, you were talking about the, um, the way that we're so porous when it comes to absorbing these pollutants in the air. I loved how you summarized that process and problematic. And it got me really also thinking about, um, yeah, it's like so many other things, right? Like it's the way that we also um, absorb information, visuals. Like I feel like this week in particular, this maybe yesterday and today are particularly sort of like hard days to think about what it means to look at images and what it means for that certain images to be shared and, and how that becomes porous and how we um, absorb that. And then, Lillian, when you were talking about that sort of clarity of, like, once you kind of see it and get it, how you then have a new understanding of how all these things link together. So I really like thinking about mapping as a way of, like, mapping ourselves through these um, different ways of thinking about things. Um, It's why I also really love the weather. And, I mean, maybe this is like a, like, stereotypical, maybe it's like a Canadian trade, I don't know, might not be real. But, you know, the fact that weather very much is a part of small talk, like it's the one thing you can talk to anyone about anywhere, strangers, family, whatever, when you're uncomfortable and don't know what else to talk about, but it actually can also reveal so much. Um, And so thinking about how like strategies we use to map ourselves through these like really complex things um, in ways that might not actually be understood as like, that's what's happening.
0: Hmm
2: you know like it's interesting i you know like I, I i live so like in minnesota that's a that's a thing too and it it's the it's not lost on me that there's a like a false boundary between these like specifically this place and canada um like that weather thing it it's something that i think also fascinates people who live in other places where you know same country radically different climate reality um I and I, I think the uh, the thinking about images um, and the difficulty. I assume you're talking about the the Tyree Mitchell murder in Memphis, yeah, which is you know for me like that's just it's downriver, and I see a huge relationship between violence and these cities that emerged along Mississippi River. Um, that I think is becoming more visible. Ferguson, St. Louis. That's that's the Mississippi River. Minneapolis, St. Paul. Mississippi River. You know, and I think um, there's something like important. I think to thinking about like um, the like that you have these really deep and sometimes invisible forms of environmental racism at work that then. Um, Explode like into these, these, um, th- like these trage- these tragedies, um, and I, I, I think like I, I love what you were saying about mapping. And when I was looking at your. I wonder if something that you might talk a little bit more about in relationship to environmental racism is trying to map these things we can't see. So like time and smell you know, like we experience them and we can feel them. But like, if I were to try to, if I were to ask like my mother, hey, could you map? (laughs) It might take us a little bit. You know, it might take us a little bit. So I, I, um, if I can try to like connect all of that together, it it has to do with like mapping those um, things that are hard to, uh, visualize or visualize, um yeah i mean could you t- maybe talk a little bit about that
1: yeah i mean I, and i think your work does this too right like mapping mapping in ways that are not the way that we're sort of taught to think about maps right and sort of like thinking about them um with other points of entry so the way that you were just talking about the mississippi river and thinking about you know, like that included conversations around mapping through time and history, uh, really difficult histories, still quite invisible histories, you know, somehow. I mean, we know the reasons why, but... Um, and maybe it has to do with, like, find... Maybe it has to do with the questions that we ask and finding those right questions to think about how to map those things that are invisible. Um, I think... In some ways, focusing and honing in on air and air quality um, made it much easier for me to think about these things. Because, like, you cannot see it no matter what you try to do, right? Like, you have to do something to alter the air that you're in to be able to make it visible. Um, And so, maybe just to back up for a second and say, like, the reason why I, or One of the main reasons why I've been thinking so much about air in the first place is because um, I had been living in London, Ontario, uh, which is really close to Sarnia, um, which is one of the most polluted areas in the country. Um, Also right across from a First Nation that are very much um, suffering from the burden of these industries. And there's been long going conversations and court cases and things to try to draw attention to that. So I'd been like thinking about this and thinking about it and the air in London is really not great. So, um, I was really feeling it. Like I could feel like, Oh, my lungs are really not doing well here. And then I moved back to Edmonton where I hadn't lived. I grew up here, but I'd been away for about 20 years. Uh, and when I came back, I suddenly again, had a lot of respiratory issues, which when I left Edmonton in the first place really disappeared. And so there was this like really amazing, um, correlation that I could feel in my body of like land uh, is affecting my body and I hadn't really thought of that before because it had been so invisible to me so I think there's something about like paying attention to these things that then helps with that visibility and then like starts prompting new questions and then maybe those prompts of new questions help with that thinking through of mapping in a new way um So it's not necessarily just like geography on a map, it's all the history and everything that goes with it as you're talking about with the Mississippi River. Um, And then I love how you also mentioned like those histories or those memories or those circumstances um, are now exploding and becoming visible. How do you sort of reconcile or feel about what then becomes visible as opposed to maybe like even the history itself or?
2: Yeah, I um, I think I I think that there's been, so I I like I come from this place in in the in the South in in Alabama, um, where there like it was a model city for U.S. Steel, and I have been thinking a lot about there's all these scars in that in that landscape from from U.S. Steel manufacturing a city. Like they had like very particular ideas about how the city should be. And one of those ideas was that it shouldn't include black people. Like quite literally, they wanted it to be an executive town for for the executives of U.S. Steel. But that didn't work because the steel plant was right there. And like the workers who needed to work at that plant needed to live nearby. And so they had to produce a different space where people could be segregated and it like completely disrupted their initial plan, which they had already started like executing. Right. And so there's all of these like layers, like literal layers of, of soil of um, like man-made, you know, um, material that we have, lived with like my mother's generation lived with it, I lived with it. And it was we were like playing on top of these things, these landforms that didn't make sense. And we could absolutely see them, but we couldn't see them. You know, like we couldn't see what they were doing. And so I've been like sitting, I've just been trying to sit with sit with that. I don't know you know like the thing that that i love about like something you said at the beginning you said um uh how to how to get better at connecting and like like letting the work be that instead of just like how to resolve a, an image problem and so i i think Um, that's a it's a lesson for me because like I've been trying to I've been trying to figure out well what is the work in that place? You know, like I can make these images and I am making images. And there have been these episodes where something would happen where I was like, I shouldn't make that image. (laughs) You know, like I don't need to photograph that for or for whom would I have photographed it? Um, and like I, I like this, you know, like making connection or how to be a bet, how to get better at making connections as like a path toward the work. And yeah, it can, it is, yeah, you know, it lands, um, there and, um, there's just these things that are, it seems like more, it seems like really important to call attention to, like the invisibility of things that really are like you're standing on it, you know, like you're standing on it, you're standing in it, you're inhaling it. Um, you can't smell it. And it's so much a part of your everyday life. It's like, that's, that's, that's like the magic trick, that like, you're taught to ignore it. Um, otherwise you would um, resist, you know? So, yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that's the thing that I've been, They've like recently been sitting with around like the map and the visual, and you know, like, um, and these like environmental conditions or conditioning, um, that I am like that are percolating, you know, like you're helping percolate some stuff, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love how you also described like the land that you grew up on is having these layers. And because I mean, I think the thing that I love about media and photography and lens-based work is really this element of time and like thinking through how to connect that dot of time into something that is flattened or still or, you know, even if it's a moving image. Because mm-hmm. um, that's like the lived experience, right? It's We're not just in the bubble of our moment. Mm-hmm. Although I think we kind of like you also said something about um, what we're sort of taught to ignore. I think in some ways we're sort of taught to think that we very much are in the bubble of our own moment. And it's kind of strange
2: because it's so yeah.
1: counterintuitive.
2: Yeah, that is so, it's so true. I, um, I, there was um, the, the a quote that you, I wrote down from the, the film was um, the crisis of the global the crisis of global warming is a crisis of the mind. And I was like, mm, that, that is absolutely, you know, and that we have to have, we have to leave open potential in order to imagine something otherwise. Uh, we have to leave these like really uncomfortable um, po- like pockets in these bubbles to like yeah. imagine something else for the future. Like that, I think that was a really beautiful thing to include and to, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a quote by James Bridal, just so everyone knows um, from the book, New Dark Age, his work I really lean on a lot and really value and love. Mm-hmm. It's this open-ended question, right? Of like, yeah, it's a crisis of the mind, like
0: then what? more yeah. yeah I think this is sort of like a natural segue I have my last question for you which is my question that I've been asking Each of the podcast guests. So Tia, I've I've already put this question to you, but I'm going to give it a little twist um, in the context of this conversation. So I've been trying to draw a link through the podcast this season around how to ask a question. Um, It's an inquiry that speaks to a larger investigation into what good criticism looks like and also how it connects with labor practices um i'm not being a good critical thinker when i'm tired i'm not engaging properly when i'm overworked i'm interested in questions of capacity and labor um great conversations don't come out of nowhere so as artists as educators um i'm curious about how you manage your own workload and ability ability to be present with various projects but um my the kind of reframing that i want to do for this question is that you both deal with difficult subject matter spending time thinking about Kind of like, you know, racist pol- health policies, um, you know, and climate laws, um, you know, that are directly impacting the health of racialized people in your community, the legacy of the transatlantic slave trade, like, to name a few. Um, and I had a conversation with my therapist recently where I asked, like, is it normal to think about slavery every day? Um, and like what impact does this have on me or you or us? Um, and so my question is, how do you deal?
2: Um, I, Christina, I want to hear, like, I want you to have like the absolute last on it. So I'll I'll, go quickly. Um, I deal recently, like I've been like making my home a place that I want to be in. That sounds like very simple, but it's crazy. Like just like something like having a knife rack right by the stove (laughs) changes how you use your kitchen. And I think about, you know, um, I have these, I have my home. I have like places that are not under constant, like under constant threat. And yeah, we could put asterisks asterisk by that, but like in a way that like my mom didn't at a certain point in her life and that my grandmother certainly didn't and that her mother did, you know, like I think I can see like the kinds of degrees of freedom that I get to have that did not. And I try to um like hold that on the good day, I can hold that, you know, thought that I I I can make my home a place that I want to be in at the end of a ho- awful day. And like I have some like flexibility in my life that that, you know, other women I love did not. I love that. Thinking about
1: like comfort and care and Also, this question about spatialness, too, comes back up, like, spaces where you feel comfort versus not. Um, Yeah, I think my answer is quite similar. I feel like I take a lot of breaks. I don't know. I think I say I do that. I think I do it. Um, Sometimes I think I just say I do and, like, forget to, maybe. But um, I think, like, especially making work that deals with all of these like really difficult things makes it easier to remember to take a break from it. Cause I'm really stuck Lillian with your question of, um, is it normal to think about slavery every day? And I was thinking like, well, it is normal for a lot of people, but I don't know that normal is like good as much as it is like necessary. So maybe like making work about this and and artwork especially, which is just such a vulnerable thing to do anyway, actually, it is easier to take breaks from it because um, you're so cognizant of the fact that you're like working so hard to read all of this stuff and, and um, you know, it's easier to step away from than that sort of like normal thinking that um, you reference. Um, there's something also that I love about the idea of taking breaks that has something to do with like stepping outside of time for a minute. For me, that is really gardening. So that's what I do and where I do it. And that's that space where I feel comfortable. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Um, I think I, I do love, like, I love nesting at home as well. I think that like home kind of being a safe zone is, is definitely like something that I've been trying to, to, you know, create, I, I live in a high rise, um, apartment building, so I don't have a garden, but, um, sort of like, yeah, I'm, I love asking this question because I think it really helps to sort of start to build, build some momentum around like, yes, um, people join us to like, you know, talk about ideas, but also just sort of like, how do we make this life work? Um, cause we're all kind of actively doing that all the time. <laughs> Um, So thank you so much for your your generosity um, and your energy this afternoon. If you're interested in in anything um, we touched on today, you can explore Gallery 44 Digital. We have tons of kind of um, material from both exhibitions that um, you can access from anywhere in the world. So if you're tuning in from another country or another city, um, you can you can check everything out there. Thank you so much to Tia and Christina. Um, your, your energy and your generosity is, is so appreciated. Um, I'm glad we could connect. And thank you to our audience who um, came and joined us today. Um, and so I wish you all a very good afternoon and weekend. Um, and do take care.
1: Thanks. Thanks, Lillian, so much for bringing us all together. Thank you
2: so much. Yes, yeah, Aaron, thank for
1: being here. Yeah. For you.
2: Yeah.